Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Today's guest is Phil Nevels. Phil is the Director of Innovation at Exelon, the parent company of the largest electric utility in Illinois. Over the course of his career, Phil has played an important role in Chicago's growing technology and entrepreneurship ecosystem. In his current role, he leads exploration and facilitation of Exelon's transition into the future. Thank you for being here today, Phil. Thank you. So for the listeners that aren't as familiar with um, your career journey uh, and your background, would you mind giving us a quick overview? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I uh, studied electrical engineering undergrad, but in my professional career, I've actually never been an engineer, though I studied it. Um, But I've always worked at the intersection of business and technology. Um, I started my career at Accenture uh, doing IT consulting at Accenture, uh, but quickly found that uh, consulting wasn't necessarily the right career path for me. Uh, So I actually ended up leaving Accenture to go to my first startup, um, which was based out of New York, which was a tech startup. And at this startup, um, I did some um, some coding. I did some business development work. As you know, at startups, you sort of do a little bit of everything. I uh, did that for a couple years. That company was acquired. Um, so then I decided to go to business school where I thought um, someone could teach me how to be an entrepreneur. Turns out you can't be taught how to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> but um, I was able to uh, get an introduction to a lot of different aspects of entrepreneurship that ended up being very valuable. But Probably the, the best part of my experience at business school was I, I, I met a very good friend, uh, Shay Fabulday, and together we started a company called Power to Switch, which was um, an energy retail brokerage out of Chicago. Um, and we operated in a number of different deregulated markets across the country. And that was actually my introduction to energy. I had no exposure to the energy industry before then. And this company was my introduction to that. So uh, we actually ended up running that company, grew that company, took venture investment um, for about four years. And we ultimately sold that company to a company, Choose Energy, out of California, which was a larger energy retail uh, brokerage. And uh, since then, uh, then went on to work uh, uh, running Chicago Next uh, at World Business Chicago under J.B. Pritzker. Uh, at the time, uh, who was the uh, chairman of that organization. Uh, Did that for a little while, then went to another early stage venture fund, um, and we raised a fund and built an angel network to do investments in early stage startups, early stage companies, Um, and then had this unique opportunity uh, to come over to to ComEd, and since then have transitioned to the the parent company, Exelon, uh, as the director of, of innovation. And so that's where I am now. And love the story about the the power to switch and, and, and your experience there. What what prompted you to uh, to launch that company? Absolutely, you know that was a case where um, we saw a clear need in the market, um, and so energy can be a very confusing topic. And I think most people actually don't have a ton of interest in it. Um, they just want to make sure that their lights are on and that they're comfortable in their homes. But it can be a very confusing topic. And there was a point uh, um, in our history where the Illinois market became deregulated. And I don't have to get into all the details of that here, but uh, the basic point is 
um, other companies were entering the market to compete and provide energy retail service to customers. Anyways, that, that created sort of a gold rush situation where there was a lot of confusion in the market. And you were getting a lot of deception in the market. And you were getting a lot of these new, young, upstart uh, energy retailers that were coming in and trying to sell products, energy products to variety of customers. And we, we recognized that there was a lack of understanding amongst the average consumer and small business. And, and so there was a need for someone to come in, educate the market, help individuals and businesses make, um, make good decisions about how they procure their energy supply, and in such a way that ensured that they would save money, um, but also not be scammed, because there were certainly scams happening. And so we saw that there was a clear need. Um, a solution had not been brought to the Chicago market. So uh, we saw it as an opportunity for us to come in and do that. And one thing um, around the energy um market, what attracted you to it? Uh, obviously, deregulation offered an opportunity, but uh, sure. you mentioned that wasn't part of your background. Yeah, you know what? It's it's. I, I get this question not a, a lot, especially now in my current role. People ask, well, why would you leave the startup ecosystem to go to this big company um, in, um, in energy? And it's uh, it's actually a pretty easy one to answer because you will not find an industry where you can learn more. Right. Like, so that's first and foremost. It is a infinitely complex industry. Um, you have uh, technology aspects to it. You have policy aspects to it that a lot of companies don't necessarily have to have to deal with on a day to day basis. You have organizational complexities being in a large company that you have to deal with um, all sorts of stakeholder management issues. And so there's so many different aspects that provide a lot of complexity and make it an amazing learning opportunity. Like literally you could learn something new every day in this industry and not even scratch the surface. So that's first and foremost. Then I'd say the second reason that I had interest in power to switch and, and why I have interest being in the energy sector generally is I can't think of an industry that um, has a, a greater impact on the future of our society. Um, I, I happen to believe that the number one threat facing society is is global warming and the accumulation of carbon in our atmosphere the number i mean hands down there's nothing else even close and and it's a very complex issue that we need to solve that's going to involve a, a lots involve governments involve people involve corporations and the utility certainly has a very critical role to play in that in, in finding solutions for how we can ensure um our society can continue to thrive in a way that respects the environment in which we live and, and doesn't degrade the, the, the earth in, in which we live. And so um, at Power to Switch, that was my first small step in that direction of helping people identify new sources of power, such as green energy, uh, energy efficiency um, programs, et cetera. And now um, I'm doing that at, at an even greater extent at, at Exelon. It's hard to find anyone in Chicago who isn't familiar with, with ComEd, and yeah. even harder <laughs> to find somebody who isn't familiar with Exelon. But for the small percentage of the population that isn't familiar with uh, with both organizations, can you give a quick overview of, of who Sure, that? sure. So uh, ComEd is the electric utility for northern Illinois. Um, a lot of folks may or may not know this, but we are one of two investor-owned utilities in the state of Illinois, Ameren being the utility covering the uh, southern part of Illinois. Uh, ComEd has approximately uh, 4 million customers uh, that they serve. 
Um, it's a it's a, a you know many thousands of miles of distribution lines and transmission lines. Basically, the responsibility of ComEd is to get the power to you, right? It is a distribution company, which a lot of folks also don't appreciate. We do not generate power, and we do not earn a profit on the selling of power. We earn our profit on the investment in infrastructure to deliver power to you. And so that and a lot of folks don't understand that nuance, and, and maybe it doesn't. It probably doesn't matter to most people, but, <laughs> but that's what we do. Uh, ComEd is a subsidiary of Exelon, which is, which is where I actually work in, in the parent company. Um, and it is the largest of six utilities that we have in our portfolio, which includes uh, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Atlantic City, and Delmarva. Across that, that portfolio, we have about 10 million customers. It's also the case that outside of ComEd, the other five utilities are both electric and gas utilities, whereas ComEd is strictly electric. Fantastic. So you're now in the role of director of innovation. Can you talk a little bit about that role? Sure, absolutely. Um, so at Exelon, we have a very uh, specific strategy in terms of where we're trying to take our business. There, there are a number of challenges that are impacting our sector right now. And, you know, it's interesting because they're all very good things that we want, but they all fundamentally challenge our business. For example, uh, there is a proliferation of rooftop solar that is happening. Um, There's a number of of people and businesses are taking advantage of energy efficiency in their homes and and workplaces, uh, whether it's light bulbs or refrigeration systems or, or what have you. All those things are amazing and wonderful because they reduce electric consumption, um, which ultimately makes the world a better place, right? Because there's just less carbon uh, in the atmosphere due to the generation of that electricity that those individuals are consuming. But as you can imagine, the less electricity that is being delivered, um, the less need there is for utility infrastructure to deliver it. And we're in the business of delivering power. And so those are challenges to our business. How do we both support the proliferation of what we call distributed energy resources, which are things like rooftop solar, storage, um, electric vehicles, so on and so forth? How do we promote that and encourage that and move the world toward a decarbonized future and ensure that we continue to be a thriving concern, business concern? And that is fundamentally the problem that we're trying to solve. And that includes things such as New business models, that includes exploring um, new products and services. Um, it, it includes a lot of different things. It, al- it also includes us reexamining policy. And in policy, we are a regulated entity, and policy is a big piece of how we operate. So it includes all those things. So you can imagine how, that sounds like a very complex problem. That's what makes it interesting. That's, that's what makes it very, very difficult. But at the end of the day, um, our team is tasked with uh, defining that strategy and determining um, how we can leverage technology specifically to get us from the world of today to a future that is both decarbonized and one in which the utility is, is growing um, as, a, as a going concern. And you mentioned pain points that you, you have as a company in trying to solve for those as um, future ways of distributing energy um, are, are developed. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about the customer pain points that you're privy to in terms of um, what customers are, are looking for? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'd say there, there are at least two things. I think customers, I think by and large, most customers want to be green and they want to make a positive contribution to the decarbonization of our planet. They want to be energy efficient, um, so on and so forth. Um, probably more than that, our customers want um, don't want to pay more than they have to for their electricity. So affordability becomes a, a big piece of what we want to ensure for our customers that all customers are able to access the same quality of power at affordable prices. And you know, one aspect of the utility role that is is super critical is the fact that we service all customers, right? There there are not too many other businesses that you can that you can speak to that have a mandate to service all customers at the same quality level. When you look in territories such as Chicago, where over 30% of customers are low and moderate income customers, we have to service those customers the same as folks up in Highland Park or, or Evan, Evanston. No offense to people in Highland Park and Evanston. <laughs> um, but, but, but that's a challenge. And so uh, you know, underlying everything that we do, you asked the question around customer pain points, is how do we innovate? How do we do all those things that I mentioned and, and achieve all those objectives, but in a way that ensures customer affordability, um, and ensures that customers have choice and convenience in how they access their options for 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 green sources of power, um, so on and so forth, et cetera. So, um, you know, as an example of that, we we as I mentioned earlier, we want customers to take advantage of of rooftop solar. Um, we want them to take advantage of electric vehicles and and behind the meter storage and and so on and so forth. For us. It's how do we help them understand their options? How do we educate the customers? How do we enable them to access those options? How do we enable them to afford those options? And so those are all aspects of things that we hope to do for our customers in the future. It was interesting because uh, I recently um, uh, uh, have a, a scenario where I've got a, a place in Florida and um, I got my first electric bill, and it was interesting <laughs> because looking at the comparison of a ComEd bill versus another electric company's bill is night and day. Mm -hmm. um, as a user experience designer, I always appreciated, especially as of the last few years, the way um, ComEd made every bill much more readable. Yeah, um, right. And not just readable from a visual aspect of kind of uh, how much energy you're consuming, but also thinking through it um, from the perspective of how many, how much energy is, you know, your neighborhood consuming, and how do you actually right. compare? Which I thought was very interesting. Right, right. Um, I don't know if you have any insights to this, but how how else was that received by mm -hmm. by different customers of ComEd? Oh, it, it was received very, very well. Um, you know, sort of to to an earlier point I made. Energy can, um, it's a very intimidating thing, if, if you actually try to think about it. I think most people don't think about it. Um, it's a very intimidating thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a very challenging thing to understand. And in some ways, energy is very magical, even how it works. It, it's unlike any other commodity in the world. Um, just the physical properties of it are different. 
Um, what's the difference between a kilowatt and a kilowatt hour, right? 99.875% of people don't know what that difference is. And so, but they know how much they have in their bank accounts and they can read dollar signs and they can understand what something costs, but they may not necessarily understand what value they're getting for the amount that they're paying, right? These are all sort of like nuanced, challenging things. But um, you referenced the the bill redesign that ComEd did. It's a small step, and it's all about how do we make energy more approachable and understandable and help customers understand what they're getting for their money. Um, so as we make more investments in the system and as we hope to um, – make more investments that enable this decarbonized future, we want customers to come along for that journey. And that requires that they understand what they're getting. They understand what value means in the context of, of energy distribution. Um, and, and, and the bill was, was one small step in that, that direction. But we, we got great responses from that. I think people uh, are, are now, you know, the bill is maybe a little less intimidating, and so they're able to consume the bill and understand it a little bit better. And if you can just get people in a position where they're talking about something a little bit more and noticing it a little bit more, you sort of incrementally move the dial um, in a direction where you can create an ecosystem where there's greater engagement between um, energy consumption, energy delivery, energy um, um uh, distribution, generations, uh, so on and so forth. And and I think the bill helped achieve that to a small extent. Absolutely. So earlier in the interview, you mentioned um, how much you can learn by being involved in the energy in- industry. And, and part of that is because it, there's so many different moving parts and so many um, so much of that is driven by, you know, even policy. And mm-hmm. you mentioned technology. Right. So... Talk to me a little bit about how technology is playing a part in enabling utilities of the future. Absolutely. So we, we pretty much spend all of our days thinking about technology. And just to give you guys a little window into the strategy and, and just where we're going as a utility generally, we've all heard of smart cities and, and we all, I think, generally know what those are at a very high level, though though I would argue less work has been done than needs to be done in terms of defining more specifically what that means for the average individual on a daily basis. But in any case, there's this concept of smart cities that exists. Our strategy hinges on a thesis that, you know, to the extent there are use cases that will be um, an, an aspect of this this smart city future, whether it's the use case of a person or a business, et cetera, in order to fulfill those use cases, in order to provide for those, to solve the needs of the future, there is going to be some convergence of city infrastructure and utility infrastructure required to enable that. And, and to say that, like, without as many words, um, the utility has a role to play in providing smart city products and services to customers. And so in our role on a daily basis – we're thinking about that that problem, that objective through the lens of technology and trying to think what are, um, if we look at technologies of today, where do those trends take us into the future and what will the technologies of the future be doing and how can the utility have a role to play? Um, so as an example, a, a very maybe um, easy example that's close to home, 
electric vehicles. Electric vehicles will absolutely be a part of the future. They're a part of the present. Um, Whereas right now, I think we have something like 20,000 or so electric vehicles in the state of Illinois. Not a large number. You have half a million in California, which is a leader in electric vehicles. Electric vehicles, things that we're doing, we're trying to increase the adoption and, and usage of those vehicles. Now, later on, autonomous vehicles. Right, which provides a greater number of use cases. Uh, and then if those are electrified, it provides a greater number of use cases for electric vehicles. We have a role to play in ensuring that that happens. Um, when you go further and further away, because if we're talking about the convergence of the utility in the, in the city, we may move away from technologies that are you know, squarely in the realm of energy to more smart home applications. Um, and you think about what's required uh, to to run the home of the future. And of course, energy would be a piece of that, but you also start to think about smart appliances and what sensors exist in the home and how are these things talking to each other. How can we optimize energy or other resources within one home across a number of homes or across a neighborhood or across entire communities? How can we create a system of energy efficiency and resource efficiency and reduce costs of energy delivery, energy consumption across a large swath of our populations. And there are a number of different technologies that go through communications networks, 5G. We hear about that a lot. What does 5G mean? What role will that play in that ecosystem? Um, smart devices in the home. You know, we see the Alexa dots and the, the Google Homes and those things. That's a start. But all these things will play into an ecosystem um, a technology ecosystem that the utility will have a uh, hopefully have a role to play it will not be the only uh, mediator of all these various technologies, but it will have a role to play in ensuring those technologies um, are uh, deliver on the promise of making customers' lives more convenient, happier, so on and so forth. But you know, one point I'll add: I think oftentimes when we talk about technology, we jump right to sort of uh, blockchain and autonomous and and eye scanners and, you know, bio-integrated <laughs> wearables and, and all these different things, that's, that's always going to be for a subset of the population. This goes back to my earlier comment. We service all customers. So part of our role is how do we make this smart city future available and accessible to all customers? And a, a number of those technologies will not be available for everyone. But that's not to say that we can't raise and continue to raise the standard of living for everyone. There are homes today that don't have high-speed internet in them. And here we're talking about you know, flying cars and robots and all this stuff. When there are homes today that do not have high-speed high internet, how can the utility play a role in ensuring that there's high-speed connectivity across the territory in partnership with companies such as AT&T and DirecTV and so on and so forth. And so there, there's a lot of different technologies out there. Um, it's about the people, not the technology, but how do we leverage technology as a tool to, to provide for the needs of not some of our customers, but all of our customers. So I want to transition a little bit. I know we've been talking a lot about the, the customer and a lot of the external scenarios, but I want to shift to, to the internal efforts mm -hmm. and how you work uh, internally with your team. A lot of our listeners are in a similar position where mm -hmm. they might be responsible for uh, innovation and initiatives sure. or even technology. Um, 
how do things work internally um, in terms of establishing that, that culture of innovation uh, within your organization? Uh, the first thing I'd say is it's, it's very hard. It's very hard. Um, and probably nowhere harder than at a regulated 120-year-plus utility um, where many people have been working there for a very long time um, and are maybe set in their ways or used to doing things a certain way. And we're, we're now really on the edge of transformation in our industry. Um, and, and there are, you know, I've, I've sort of maybe not said in this way earlier, but there are existential threats to the existence of the utility as it is today, right, in the form of some of those things that I mentioned earlier, rooftop solar, energy efficiency, so on and so forth. And so we are in the midst of a trans- transformation not unlike um, what maybe telecom went through uh, some years ago, but we're we're probably one of the the last very large industries to go through this transfer, transformation. So it can be very very difficult trying to move that type of organization into the future. I guess the first thing I'd say is that um, you know Rome wasn't built in a day, and you can't just come into these big companies. Exelon's about thirty four thousand employees. You can't just come into these big companies. And just think you're going to change it overnight. And a lot of people don't like to hear this, but you really have to think incrementally when you think about transformational change at a big company. And I think you have to do it, you know, one step at a time. You have to do it in such a way that it will will not be rejected um, by the individuals that work there. You know, when when we when I when I started about two years ago at at, at ComEd and, and now at, at Exelon, I really felt like, you know, and actually my boss sort of uses this analogy, which I don't know how I should feel about it, but I felt like a pathogen being inserted into this body that is ComEd slash Exelon. There were antibodies all over the place, like trying to attack and kill, right? So, so it's almost like a vaccine. It's like got a little bit of it in there and you sort of insert it in there just to get the immune system accustomed to it over time. And, and, and what I would say is you, you really do that, and, and this is maybe my personal style, but you do that one person at a time. Um, and you do that by building relationships, building credibility, um, and, and growing and nurturing those relationships over time. Because it's much easier to convince someone uh, to, to innovate as a friend than as a um, as an enemy. I, I think that's maybe obvious, but to the extent you're building relationships, you can do that slowly and surely over time. Um, we do a lot of work to, because you also have to be the change that you want to see. And I think part of the challenge we have as an industry that's maybe a cultural thing is there's, there's a lot of conservatism. Um, rightly so, we're a regulated entity um, and when we make mistakes, they can be a big deal, right? And they, they can be a really, really big deal. Um, in order to break that, and, and so as part of that, there's very much a mode, there's a lack of, sometimes a lack of transparency within our organization, which you need to innovate. And people sort of want to keep their own little kingdoms and silos because there's a nervousness or conservatism associated with sharing outside of your silo and sharing amongst other groups in the company. In order to be the change that we want to see, um, our team, my team, um, is very proactive in how we share 
the things that we're working on, that we're thinking about, and we do that, do that in a very unfinished state, right? The idea being that it's okay to get out there and take risks and put things out there that are not fully baked and are not fully um, thought of. And, 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 and in doing that, you're able to pull other parts of the organization into the solutioning and into um, determining how to move forward with this issue or that, right? The, the other way you sort of try to bake it and then release it and tell people this is what we're going to do. They're not going to accept that, but they might accept something that they had a part in, in sort of designing and, 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 and problem solving on. So, so we do a lot of that. We do a lot of sharing and transparency, again, trying to be the change that we want to see um, and bringing people along for the ride. And we, we try to do as much sort of cross-functional convening as possible. And it's very important, um, and I'm sure other guests have said this, it's very important to bring a diverse array of perspectives to any problem. Uh, we all have our biases one way or the other. I have them, you have them, everybody has them. And, and you only get past that if you're bringing a lot of different perspectives in one place. That, that's, that's the only time that you recognize that, that maybe you are biased toward a certain position. Once you get all the different positions on the table at once, you see, oh, wait, maybe there's a different way of thinking about it. Um, but in any case, you, you do all that, and, and that was all Monday, right? <laughs> so you still got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like, and then you got the next week. So it's, it's, a, it's an evolution. It's an incremental thing. We try to be the change that we want to see. Um, we practice transparency. We practice uh, um, cross-functional collaboration. Um, and and I, I, I think we're starting to move the needle two years in. It, it feels like 20 years, but I think we're starting to move the, the needle a little bit in um, getting this behemoth that is Exelon to be a more innovative company. And what does that look like tactically? You mentioned mm-hmm. you know, working with cross-functional teams, et cetera. And does that come in the form of a, a workshop, or is it just a matter of you know, having brainstorming sessions together, a huddle session, or... Yeah, we th- there's a couple things I point out, and, and they're top of mind because we went through them this week. So first off, we do do a lot of workshops. Um, you know, for instance, you know, we talk about this smart city future, and we, and we call it the connected community because um, it's not just about technology in terms of how you connect, but it's really about the role of the utility and how does the utility connect with this environment. And so as we think about that connected community future – um, we were tasked by our leadership with um, painting a more granular picture of what that future could be. This is just as, as an example. And so we could have gone in, into the lab and, you know, there's, we're a small team and taken out a whiteboard and, and figured out what that looked like. Instead of doing that, we uh, called for a workshop. And we had this workshop um, um, actually earlier last week. There were about 30 people in the workshop, and we have folks from each of our six utilities. We have folks from corporate strategy. We have folks from IT. We have folks from um, uh, communications. We have people from all over the business. And we got everyone in the room, and we talked about what we thought the future could be, and we had a very collaborative session. So, so that's, that's one example. Um, something that we do as a team on a weekly basis is we actually because uh, because we're we're inundated on a daily basis with with new 
articles and technologies and there's so much stuff happening in the world and, you know, AI and blockchain, all these different things. And in everyone in the business, everyone in our company is hit with these things on a daily basis. And I think you, we are, and I think um, a lot of people around the company can be overwhelmed. And, and, and oftentimes, you know, we live in this age where there's just so much information, it's coming at you so fast all the time. And I think sometimes we're conservative because um, we're overwhelmed and we just don't know where to go. It's like this sort of analysis, analysis paralysis and you're hit with so much, you're just, I'm just not gonna move, I'm just not gonna do anything. And so what we've taken upon ourselves to do as a team is to, as we sift through all those different things, is to, we started a newsletter where we sift through all the stuff we're seeing on a weekly basis and we provide, <clears throat> we provide um, a very short email that takes what we see as the most relevant things that are happening and all that noise, what do we think the signal actually looks like? And we, we provide this uh, very simple formatted email, uh, newsletter that we distribute um, throughout the company. And it's not just sending links of here articles, but it's explaining in short paragraphs like why this matters or why you should care about this or how you can educate yourself on this. And to build that newsletter, that requires our team to convene on a week, and we do this as a weekly newsletter, that requires our team to get together on a weekly basis and to have discussion about these things that have come in through these various channels, have discussion about why we think it's relevant. So we have to have that discussion on our team so that we can provide that to, uh, to the enterprise. And so there is value um, from a team building standpoint, and it ensures that we remain innovative, we remain sort of thinking outside the box and thinking external to our organization, but it also translates to us being able to do that um, for our organization and to help them sift through these various innovations that are coming through. And is there a way that that's measured? I mean, I'm sure you're held to a certain standard, either quarterly or yearly, but how do you think about that from a measurement standpoint? That's a great question, and it can be very, very difficult. Our goal at the end of the day as, as our team, our goal is to first and foremost identify the key questions that need to be answered, and then we work with our utilities, um, ComEd being one of them, obviously, to design real-world projects that help us answer some of those questions. And so the ways in which we're measured – how many active projects are we moving forward to actually address some of these questions? And then each project is going to have its own set of metrics that comes out of it to de determine and assess success for that particular project. And, and success might be um, saving costs for the business. Success might be improving customer satisfaction. Success might be um, improving the reliability of the system in some way. Success might be adding X number of partners to the ecosystem um, that we're trying to establish to address these problems, right? So, so though the, the success metrics can be very, very different depending on um, what exactly the project is, at the end of the day, it's really about how many real projects can we get out there? You know, that's another thing I guess I'd say about innovation generally. You can either talk about innovation or you can actually innovate. And I, I think we're a utility. I, I think there's a lot of big companies that 
that talk a lot, do a lot of PowerPoints, have a lot of conversations, bring a bunch of consultants in and have a meeting to plan for another meeting to have another meeting about. Um, at some point, you have to just do something because okay. you're not going to actually know really what questions you need to answer until you put something out in the real world and all the unknown unknowns begin to make themselves apparent after you do that. So we have a real focus on literally driving the volume of projects that we're doing with the utilities. I, I love this because it, you're sharing so many kind of key insights into not just the inner workings of, of how, how you operate, but also kind of a, a benchmark for how, how other companies should think about it. If there was one piece of advice that you would offer listeners that are responsible for driving innovation um, at their organization, what would that be? My piece of advice would be don't give up. <laughs> it can be, this is to my earlier point, it can be very frustrating at times. It can seem impossible sometimes. Uh, I think you mentioned you had someone from Dow Chemicals. Like These are like really big companies. And how can you move the needle on innovating a company that has been very, very successful in something for a very long period of time. And I'm sure all of your listeners and you guys have read Innovator's Dilemma, and that is real. That is totally real, and we are going through that right now. Um, the same things that ensure your success in the short term are the exact same things that prevent your success in the long term. And that's, that's how I interpret that book, right? And so on any given day... Um, it can seem impossible to, to do it. And it is impossible if you consider it through the lens of everything that has to be done and you, and you try to boil the ocean Monday morning, right? And this is sort of to my earlier point, right? It's an incremental thing that you have to do. But if you focus on the change you can drive that day, right, you just have to have faith in the process that, all the incremental daily little thing, the meeting you had here or the conversation you had there, that that will all move the, the company as a whole toward the future slowly but surely. And so, so that would be my advice is don't give up. Keep at it. Um, focus on today, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's not promised. Um, you can't boil the ocean all, all in one day. Fantastic. So if you had to make one bold prediction about the future of energy, what would that be? So, and, and this may sound bold. This isn't bold as we talk about it at the utility. This may sound bold, I think, to the general public. But, but there can be um, a future where uh, uh, energy generation is entirely distributed. And right now we're, we're in a situation where it's, it's central station generation. So... Here, where we are here in Chicago, our energy comes from nuclear plants. Somewhere else they may come from coal plants or hydro plants or what have you. But it's coming, for the most part, from big generators somewhere, right, uh, within the transmission network. And um, there could be a future where those, if they don't go away, become substantially smaller. Um, and, that, and, and within that future... You have rooftop solar on every home, business. You've got community solar installations on some of this uh, vacant land that we have within the city or in other places. Um, and so you can imagine a future where energy, uh, energy generation is entirely uh, or close to 100% generated in a very distributed manner and not from a central station generation. 
So last question and the most important question of the day, what's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? So we were talking about this earlier. The one app I cannot live without is Audible. And so I have, um, I'm married, I've got three kids, four, six, and eight. Um, I have a very busy life. And the only time I get to myself on a, on a daily basis is the 45 minutes it takes me to get from my house to work and, and back. And, you know, I'm, I'm usually taking public transportation. It's really hard to read a book. And I read, like, really big books, and they're heavy, and I don't want to carry them. So all the reading I get is pretty much through that app. And my job requires and depends on me reading and understanding what's going on. And I get all of that through Amazon's Audible app. And so that is the most um, amazing app on my phone. The second one is Google Maps because I have a hard time getting around. So that's my second one. But, but Audible is a very, very important app for me. Fantastic. Well, thank you for being here today. Yeah. Um, if there's an, a, a way um, listeners can, can stay in touch with you, um, it, social profiles or anything like that? Do you have a, a way uh, or anything you want to share on that front? So it's, it's ironic because I, I do innovation, but I do, I do not use social media with the exception of LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Philip Nevels, um, and, and, and more than happy to contact folks via email. I don't know how you share that here, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can find me on LinkedIn, reach out, more than happy to connect. Good stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here today, Phil. We enjoyed your, your, our time. All right. Thank you. Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.